It's been a newsy few days in college football. The Joe Mixon video is out. Minnesota very nearly boycotted a bowl game, and Christian McCaffrey is going to sit out a bowl game. We'll be talking about all of that on today's episode of The Audible. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. As always, if you enjoy The Audible, you should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, Bruce, it was quite the eventful few days, and an unfortunate coincidence, I had my family and I went away. For the week, we had planned this a long time ago to go away on Friday. You called me just as we were pulling into the hotel with some news. The Joe Mixon video is out. I don't know about you, Stu, but to me, when I watched it, two things that kind of stood out to me. The first was this kind of took a minute to unfold. I mean, we only saw, you know, what started before it, but it looks like there was something that happened, you know, to precipitate, you know, the first 30 seconds of it. And so it wasn't like here is an argument and then a woman slaps a guy and the guy reacts and hits her. You know, we've seen those videos and they're they're disgusting as they are. This, you know, at one point she pushes him. And he like kind of lunges at her as if, you know, like, don't you mess with me kind of thing. And then she recoils and like swats at his neck and he recoils and just decks her and walks off. And it, like I said, it's a disgraceful thing to see. Um, what was your reaction? Was it different than you anticipated it to be once you saw it? Well, like you, you know, I think and I've seen people say it shouldn't have taken seeing the video for people to react like this. But I'm sorry, there's one thing to read about. Uh, a crime and and nobody was saying you know nobody was condoning it you know I mean we we all acknowledged that that this was part of Joe Mixon's story and he was suspended for a year but I'm sorry there's nothing that compares to seeing it actually happen and it was much more disturbing than I could have imagined I don't know what I people say well what were you expecting I I don't know I wasn't I don't know what I was expecting but I guess I wasn't prepared quite for the how do you put it just how violent it really is when a guy, you know, a, a fully built football player just decks this, you know, rather small woman and her head, you know, he, first of all, it's so fast. Her head bounces off the table. She falls down. And honestly, part of what made it continue to be disturbing is that the, the video keeps rolling. You know, so you see that she's down for a long time. Her friends are trying to help her. And when she eventually does come back up. I mean, not only is there blood, but you can see that he really, you know, he broke her jaw. And you can see what that looks like. And I haven't seen a lot of broken jaws. Maybe never. So, you know, it's really horrendous. And, of course, the question becomes, that a lot of people are asking, how could the decision makers of Oklahoma have watched that video, which they did, and decided that a one-year suspension was enough of a punishment? And I think we should mention um, right off the top here, you and I both have a long, long standing relationship with Joe Stiglio in the Oklahoma AD, right? Yeah, I would argue that he is as respected by media people uh, as any AD in the country. He, he's as media friendly as, as any AD, and that shouldn't uh, shape how we think of this. But we're going to get into, I think, a lot more about what we thought about how Oklahoma has handled this entire situation. And, and so I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I guess I'm bringing that up to say that it makes it all the more puzzling for us. You know, we we do. We have a lot of respect for him. And so when you see this and you think, gosh, it just doesn't seem like how could they have signed off on it? Anyway, we I tried to reach out to Joe and see if he would come on the podcast and explain this more. Um, not 
surprise, he respectfully declined. They, I don't think they've done any interviews since this was released on Friday other than a statement. He did say, um, we've been transparent from the beginning and laying out our response, starting with the time we announced Joe's suspension in 2014. The statement we released on Friday again addressed our assessment and is comprehensive. Obviously, we looked at this matter from many angles with many considerations and tried to arrive at a conclusion that was punitive and included a range of ongoing standards to be met, yet offered a chance at redemption and a path to improving his life after a regrettable mistake. It kind of gets to what we were talking about back in the offseason when the Jeffrey Simmons thing happened. The question of when something like this happens, what is the balance between punishing somebody enough but but also acknowledging that, I mean, you know, what I remember us debating, like, how far down would he have to go for you to consider that acceptable? But I don't think either of us think something like this happens, the player should then be banned for life from college football. But what is the necessary punishment? Because I don't think this was enough. Yeah, I, I mean, let's start with a couple of things. First of all, a lot of people will say, yeah, suspended. That was just they redshirted him. And now you can look at it and go, okay, well, if he's a good player, he wasn't going to be there five years, and that was their anticipation. It's also not entirely accurate. If you redshirt, you can still practice and be part of the team. He was not. Yeah. Now, I think the question here is what came up with Mississippi State and Jeffrey Simmons, I think, is not a, is not a great point here either, which is, oh, well, if you drop him, somebody else is going to snatch him up. You know what? That's on them then. And he's a California guy, whether he would have gone to San Jose State or whether he would have gone to Cal. I don't know if either one of those schools would have taken him after that. I don't know. My guess is they probably would have um, or somewhere else. I, I don't think that's Oklahoma's case. The questions I have here are maybe I walk this back a step. I did a couple of Oklahoma games for Fox. One of the games was a Texas Tech game where P. Ryan was hurt. So my P. Ryan was hurt. And I, you know, obviously Texas Tech's defense is especially bad. And we discussed in our show meeting, Joe Mixon may run for 300 yards tonight. We are going to have to, you know, in full obligation, discuss Joe Mixon. And that includes this story. And it also had been in the news because earlier in the week or maybe within the week, uh, it had been moved from one location to another or it was blocked from going from one another case. So there was an update on the case itself. Um, but, you know, I, I was very cautious in the way I described it. And what it was was, you know, for a lot of people, Joe Mixon is defined by this incident. And I think that is entirely true because whether, you know, people love you or hate you, you know, you're just defined by your actions. And now Bob Stoops had told us a day before the game, Joe Mixon is the most popular player on their team amongst his teammates. He said he brings positive energy to the field and, you know, people can roll their eyes at that. I know other guys on the staff who speak very, very highly of Joe Mixon as a human being. And it, it doesn't square at all with with what you see on that video. And so I'm going to you know kind of walk through this because I started to write about this a couple of times. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to. I think it's better the format to discuss it in the audible. And uh, I got to admit, I'm conflicted because some of these guys I know on the staff are some of the better people I know in coaching. And they vouch for them. One of them said that they would let Joe Mixon babysit their kids. And you, know, you look at this and go, wait a minute, this is the same guy who does this horrific thing. Um, also, there is another time where Joe Mixon got in trouble. And it was referenced where he had an incident with a... Uh, a parking enforcement officer earlier this year where he didn't seem like he was being very respectful at all. And people can go, you know, blow that up if they want. But you know what? None of this stuff happens. He in was vacuum. suspended for a game for that against uh, Iowa State. Yeah. So none of that stuff happens in a vacuum, Stu. And the part that, you know, I look at is 
this was a unique situation in that I covered the Orange Bowl last year, and the only time the media, as far as I know, had any real access to him was at media day. And normally a school has a lot of control over a situation. In this case, Oklahoma really didn't because if they were to say, look, Joe, you're going to apologize for this horrific thing. Well, Mixon's attorney was apparently not going to let him do that. So he came across, and I wasn't there for the whole time, but he came across as being very smug and defensive. And I think when you looked at it, you're like, wait a minute, you know, this guy is just like, hey, I'm not going to let these media people get me or, you know, like whatever. It was very... Um, I didn't think he looked like he came across particularly well. And it comes back to we've seen other you know, little snippets of his personality show up on Twitter, like right before last season, the 2015 season started. Joe Mixon, these are his tweets. I remember everything, exclamation point. It's just motivating, motivation, adding more fuel to the fire. That's all y'all are doing. The next thing. This season's dedicated to my haters, 100%. Hashtag boom. You know what? The reason why there are a lot of these haters is because you did something really horrific. And if you are not you know, a grown up enough to realize some of these things, then I think it's not a stretch for people to judge you for all of this. And I think this is the part where I do feel like Oklahoma also failed him in this because he did not come across as being contrite in the little bits of personality that we've seen from Joe Mix. And I say this as somebody who, as, as I said, has a lot of respect for the people at Oklahoma. But, I, I, you know, this part of it, I think, just was a complete, complete, you know, poor handling of the situation. I mean, the way I look at it is they kind of sold their soul on this, you know, because look what ended up happening. And not that you could have predicted this because he hadn't played a game yet. But once Joe Mixon did play, uh, he was a big part of two teams that won back-to-back Big 12 titles and went to the playoff last year. So it's kind of like, well, we put up with the publicity uh, hit from this for two years. The video didn't come out until, you know, now. It probably would have been a lot different if it come out right then. And... What did they get out of it? They got a lot on the field out of it. And uh, it wasn't worth it? I don't know. But uh, I don't – I think if if there was no video and you just had the, the facts stated in it, um, I'm sure at the time they thought a year's pun- suspension was, uh, um, you know, the, hey, we are punishing him. It's a severe punishment. It's a year's suspension. But then when you see the video and you and you know that they looked at this video too – I just don't know how you could watch that video and say and want him to stay on your campus. I mean, David Bourne apparently was in on this. It's two things. Also, not just stay on your campus. You determine whether he is a risk to your to you know the other students. Uh, the other part of it, though, is you know Joe Mixon represents Oklahoma, and for a lot of people, uh, and I'm not just talking about like Oklahoma State fans who or Texas fans who who you know are going to naturally not root for the Sooners. I think there's a lot of people who this, you know, as I said during the game, that incident defined Joe Mixon. I think for a lot of people, this incident is going to define Bob Stoops, you know. And what's interesting to me about it a little bit, and I think you referenced Doyle Green Beckham before, you know, it's not like this is the only player who's had something horrific attached to them. Now, we should also say, you know, Oklahoma and Bob Stoops are not the only programs who had players who've done some horrific things, you know, involving women and still been able to play or still been part of programs. You know, it's unfortunately it goes on in a lot of places. And, you know, I don't know if you saw the Brenda Tracy column. She's the uh, activist who actually spoke to Oklahoma earlier in the year. And I think what you've seen now is people saying, you know what, these are horrific things that happened in the past. There has got to be something to move it forward. Um, and, and I think the, the failing here with Oklahoma, to me, isn't necessarily that they kept Joe Mixon. I think you can say that there is. 
But their prism here has been, hey, we're going to help Joe Mixon be better. Now, obviously, you can be cynical and say, sure, that helped your football program be better. He's a five-star player. But I think the bigger thing would have been, yeah, you're going to help Joe Mixon be better. But also, are you going to try to help advance the discussion? Do you have a responsibility now as a big-time college football program, big-time university, to do something more and to show – I mean – like, you know, places that say, oh, yeah, you know, like we've handled this internally. He's done these things to satisfy us. I think you need to be a lot more vocal. Now, I saw Twitter pictures of Joe Mixon at a children's hospital early in the week last week. But I think you need to be a lot more proactive in showing that this person is not only contrite, but they are going to be held to a higher standard. And you're going to advance the discussion of how wrong this is. Not that you're just going to not give up on this kid and let him you know, become a better man. I think Joe Mixon needs to be representative of something much, much bigger. And that's where I feel like Oklahoma has not done enough. In the statement Friday that came out when the video came out, their response to it, you know, a big part of it was, well, I'll just read it. Um, University officials were made aware of the content of the video prior to taking action with respect to Joe Mixon. Based on that information, the university immediately suspended and removed Mr. Mixon from the football team for one year, during which high standards of conduct were expected and maintained. It was made clear to Mr. Mixon at the time of his suspension that violence against women will not go unpunished at the university. Coach Stoops has been proactive in presenting training for his team aimed at preventing such behavior in the future. Sensitivity training in the area of violence has been intensified, and best practices will continue to be implemented. Mr. Mixon has apologized for his actions, and the university hopes that it is an indication that he has learned from his mistakes. We are an educational institution where we hope young people will learn from their mistakes and chart a better future course. Well, that's all well and good, but like you said... This has been a pattern for Oklahoma over the last couple of years. Uh, two years ago, they took in Doriel Green Beckham after he got kicked off of Missouri. He never ended up playing for them, but he was on the team. And this was after he broke into the home of his girlfriend with such force, and I'm quoting this from a Pete Damel story, that he broke through the drywall surrounding the door, pushed one of her roommates down four stairs, according to a police report of the incident, and then dragged his girlfriend out of the apartment by her neck. Oklahoma takes him in. I guess the message here, well, we hope he'll, he'll learn from his mistake here on our campus. Just this past, oh, Frank Shannon, linebacker, um, was suspended from the school for a year around that same time for violence against women. Violence against women. Ugh. Frank Shannon was, was suspended for a year around that same time, accused of sexually assaulting a female student. And we just learned in the last, what, last weekend that D.D. Westbrook, Heisman finalist, star receiver for the Sooners, was accused twice of violence against the mother of his children um, back in 2011, 2012. Oklahoma claims it did not know about that, even though they do background checks on all their recruits. So I think they kind of lose the benefit of the doubt here. You know, this is not, like you said, nothing happens in a vacuum. And Joe Mixon is just one of several f- prominent members of the team now that have uh, had these accusations against them. And so, you know, I think all in all, what you said is right. You know, Bob Stoops, for all the wins, national title, all those Big 12 titles, and all of that is, is worthy of accolades. This is quickly becoming a big part of his legacy as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, you know, I think it's unfortunate that it is this way. The, again, the part where I feel like more than anything, because you're right, they did suspend him for a year. I think we can, you know, say it's not like this wasn't the Jeffrey Simmons. You got suspended for one game and it was South Alabama. Um, different deal. But again, you know, I, I feel like the, the responsibility is now on these universities. If you were going to take players that have these issues and you're going to tell us that you are going to help them grow as people, 
I think they need to be more visible about how they are going through this process. You know, and again, whether you let Joe Mixon speak to the media or not, it's not coming across as this one's for the haters or whatever. I mean, I'm sorry if you, you know, at some point when somebody tweets that out, somebody needs to get a hold of him and go, listen, if you don't get who the haters are and why the haters started up, we got a bigger problem with you. Well, and I think if you, if the situation is so bad that the guy can't do a media interview because he can't answer those questions because he might get sued, then that's a pretty uh, bad sign, you know. Again, I'd say, at what point was this worth it? You know, was it worth it to have a guy on the team for two years who contributed a lot on the field but literally could not represent the program, you know, could not be a representative of the program, could not speak publicly um, because of ongoing litigation against him because he broke a girl's jaw? And by the way, that woman, Amelia Molitor, you know, I think what's interesting about this story is that a lot of times the victim is anonymous, but in this case— she actually sat down with Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman this summer and did a whole interview about it. Her name has been mentioned right from the beginning. And when you, you know, I mean, I think that adds to the reaction when you when you get to know uh, a little bit about the person who was on the other end of this, unfortunately. Her mouth was wired shut. She did not leave Oklahoma. She stayed there. She actually got her degree on the, believe it or not, the night Friday night, the day that this video finally came out, she walked graduation that night. Um, I mean, her life was just turned upside down because of this. And I just can't imagine how – and she was a lifelong OU fan. Her family was lifelong OU fans. Flat out said she can't root for the football team as long as he's on the team. And I just can't imagine – you know, how does she feel about the fact that OU decided to use the football program as a way to help him learn from his mistakes uh, while the woman who he – knocked out and broke her jaw is on the campus at the same time trying to get her degree. I just think that in itself was very disrespectful. Oh, this has been a very heavy start to the audible. Yeah. Unfortunately we're going to have it. Uh, I think we're going to keep it heavy. Yeah. Because, it's going to stay heavy. Yeah. So look, the Minnesota story in the past few days with their potential boycott of the holiday bowl, which is now not going to happen drew headlines over the weekend. Uh, it involves more bad athlete behavior, though. Stu, what was your reaction? How closely did you follow this story? Uh, very closely. And at the time that they announced the boycott, which was, I want to say, Thursday night uh, after practice, and they gave the statement, without knowing the details of what happened, um, you thought, wow, you know, for them to come together and have this organized uh, uh, process and the statement was a very powerful statement, then, my gosh, I don't know what happened exactly, but it sounds like these guys really did get wronged by the school's investigative process. And I had heard uh, that there were some flaws with it, but once the report got leaked, and I can't imagine that was an accident because that ended up, I think, in large part causing them to stave off the boycott, um, you read that report, right, because I guess people were confused. I guess the football team was confused how these guys could be – Uh, not charged by the police and in fact not just that for the police to come out and flat out say we watched video clips from that night and we believe it was consensual we you know based on what we saw in the video this was consensual then how could the school come out and basically say the opposite and if you read that did you read that report uh i read some of it i'll be honest i could not get through all of it it's hard it's uh sickening uh it's 80 pages long and it's really really hard to get through And there are, I don't know, this is a really hard one to talk about on the air. 
I guess I'll just say this. You don't come away from it and say, oh, the police were wrong. She was she was assaulted and they got it. It's not like that. And in fact, at one point, the school flat out acknowledges that at least some of the behavior that night was consensual. But they I just thought it was very thoughtful, very well reasoned. And they basically come to the conclusion that she's more credible, the victim here, than the than the police found her to be. And it's just an interesting window into you both two parties can look at the same set of evidence and come to different conclusions. And whether or not this was consensual or that wasn't consensual or, or this person should have been found guilty, this person shouldn't have, it's just very, very tawdry behavior. And it's just an awful representation of the Minnesota football team. And you can't you come away from that feeling any sort of sympathy for anybody that was involved. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Tracy Clays, the first year full-time head coach, was supportive, tweeted such. It did not sound like he was all that informed of, of what was involved here when he when he kind of was speaking. Out. I don't think anybody was. I don't even think the players who were making that statement uh, right. really knew what was going on. And and this is where I guess I differ from a little bit from some people who said who really wanted to uh, come down hard on these players for even you know for starting the boycott in the first place without I guess the full set of information. I don't know how they would have had it. Uh, this was a confidential reporter or at least it was confidential until somebody leaked it uh i, I don't uh I, I guess i give 20 year old players a little benefit of the doubt in that i don't expect them to know the difference between a criminal investigation and a title nine investigation and why one has a different burden of proof than the other and all of those things i think in their minds there was something that happened guys were suspended for a few games at one point and then by all indications, they weren't charged, and this should have been over. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, to them at least, 10 guys are suspended, 5 guys are expelled. And they're just caught completely off guard by it because they got no explanation. Um, but once the all, all, once you did see that, once you did have all the information, you know, I think it changed. I think Tracy Clays was put in a situation much like Gary Pinkle last year in Missouri where he felt like mm -hmm. he had no choice but to support his players. Yeah, I think also I feel like I know a little more about the Missouri situation behind the scenes than I do about the Minnesota one. Now, part of it is because there's some time to have kind of talked to people about it. And this is not necessarily related just to these stories in general. It could be related to any story in this day and age. But because of social media and stories move so fast, especially when they're complicated, um, I think a lot of time you get a uh, ready, fire, aim mentality that goes into play, both for the people who follow the story and the people involved in the story. Um, I'm not sure how much more proactive they could have been to, to kind of slow this thing down, but it bubbled over in a heartbeat. Um, and again, you know, it was kind of the dog chasing its tail at this point. So I, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think anything would change for Tracy Clays? I mean, I've seen people call for his, his firing in the way this is handled. To me, I'm not sure I see it that way. Um, I don't think it's a great look, but I don't know if I would do I don't think far. you can fire him for this because it's not like the AD handled himself particularly well in this either. Uh, so if, if he's going to fire him, then wouldn't somebody then turn around and call for the AD's firing? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I've seen people say that too. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's an ugly story that I'm not sure it didn't get any uglier because, you know, calmer heads prevail because they're going to go play in a holiday bowl. Well, I think what was interesting was, I mean, I went to bed on Friday night, Pacific time. And at that point, you know, it's, I don't know. 1 a.m. Central, I forget what exactly time I went to sleep. Mm -hmm. It sure seemed like it was going to happen. Like the Holiday Bowl needed a decision by noon the next day. And the people who did a great job covering it, by the way, the reporters there, 
their sources were telling them it was going to happen. There was just, they're at a complete impasse. They'd met with the president, the AD, they got no good answers and it looked like it was going to go ahead. And then I woke up the next morning to the news that they had called it off. And at that moment though, when it looked like it really was going to happen, I remember thinking, you know, whether they're justified or not in, in doing this, this is going to, this is going to cause harm for the Minnesota football program for years to come that they sat out of the holiday bowl. Uh, all right, Stu, I, I think we're in agreement on that. The other story that we have that I think is really compelling and worth kicking around is something that started also last week, but really escalated uh, Monday morning as we taped this with Christian McCaffrey following suit of Leonard Fournette. And McCaffrey had tweeted out this morning that he is not going to play in the bowl game in the Sun Bowl uh, so he can get ready for the draft. Uh to me, I think this is going to spark a much bigger trend. I think we saw with Fournette. Now, it's a little different. Fournette has been banged up most of the year, whereas, yes, there were times when Christian McCaffrey wasn't 100%, but it's a little different. Uh, I think it should be noted that both players, uh, there was a lot of support for what kind of leader and how tough Leonard Fournette is. And we've seen Stanford teammates come up and back and support Christian McCaffrey now, but that still doesn't cause a little bit of uneasiness in football circles about how this is going to play with players sitting out bowl games now. What do you, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, it blew up Monday morning. Probably, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And I do think it's because in Fournette's case, he had missed the last several games of the season, so it just seemed like it was a continuation of that, whereas McCaffrey had come back and actually played very well at the end of the regular season. This is not the norm or hasn't been in the past. And so anytime something like this happens, there's going to be uh, you know, kind of a, a backlash, I would say. And I think it's been interesting that it's basically an almost complete split. Former players who are in the media now are very just Kirk Herbstreet, Danny Cannell, very bothered by this. How can you, you know, selfish, the word selfish has been thrown around. How can you put yourself ahead of the team like this? And then those of us, many of us in the media who didn't play say, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's actually a smart decision on his part. I, it's not like I love it. You know, I would love to see him play another college game. I would love to see Leonard Fournette play another college game, but I can't blame them. Um, that, you know, with, especially at that particular position, right? We're talking about running backs and the wear and tear on their bodies. And Chris McCaffrey in particular has been such a worker workhorse for two years. And I hate to say it this way because I don't want to disparage the Sun Bowl. I like the Sun Bowl, but you know, it's not the playoff. It's not the Rose Bowl. And I can see why he wouldn't want to risk his body for one more game and why he go ahead and, uh, and get ready for the pros. Yeah, I have a couple of comments from this. Now, the first thing is about 10 minutes after I tweeted something out about McCaffrey, I heard from a Power 5 coach who texted this back. If some coaches can skip bowls to get ready for their next job, how can anyone fault Fournette or McCaffrey? Now, I was like, okay, I can totally see that because we see, we see that a lot in this time of year with coaches moving on to jobs and they leave their teams behind and you know they're a shell of the staff or whatever. What was interesting to me was, so there's a uh, NFL scouting director I know, and I called him, and I wasn't sure what he was going to say. And this was a guy who admitted he was a little more surprised by McCaffrey because he, he hadn't been hurt like Fournette had been. And hadn't, you know, that kind of caught him a little more off guard. But he said, you know, this is a, still going to be a case-by-case -case basis when you judge players by what you find out about their character from talking to them and talking to people close to them. Uh, and he said, yeah, there'll probably be some old-school guys who probably won't feel good about it. But then he kind of, like, let go. And he was like, put yourself in their shoes. An injury could change the course of the rest of their lives. We're not talking about a left guard here. We're talking about a skill player who is a huge target. That's the reality of it. And look at what these coaches are making now. These guys are making five or six million a year, and they may pressure these kids to play 
look at what these ADs and coaches are doing. It's okay for them to leave, but it's not okay for players to think about their futures. For coaches to be critical, that's incredibly selfish. Now, hold on for a second here. You're going to pressure these kids to play, and then one of them will suffer a career-altering injury, and it's like, I love you and you're a great teammate. Sorry about that. And it's all for some bowl game that nobody cares about. That's a joke. I'm looking at it practically. If it was your son, what are you going to say? It just makes sense. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it now. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. You know, I, I think there's probably people of a certain age, myself included, who remember when there was nothing more important than getting to a bowl game, any bowl game, and why you wouldn't think about doing something like this. But the, they've clearly been um, diminished. I don't think anybody could argue that. And coaches have kind of sent that, that precedent. Uh, if a coach doesn't consider the bowl game important enough to stay before moving on to his next job— then why should it be? Why is it too important for Christian McCaffrey to? I mean, he's basically doing the same thing. He's saying, you know, my next opportunity is out there, and I, I can't really afford to to stay back and and not get started on. It's the same exact thing. Of course, the difference is, uh, the coach, for whatever reason, we think that's, that's just normal now, right? I remember when Brian Kelly left Cincinnati before the Sugar Bowl. That was a huge reaction to that. Now people just consider it to be the norm outside of you know the very big bowl games i do think it's going to start to become the norm i don't know what i mean what do you, what, what will be the threshold though i mean so far we're talking about two star running backs and running back again being the position you think of most in terms of injury risk what you know are we talking first round quarterbacks are going to start sitting out bowl games linebackers you know where, where is this headed i mean i don't know which would you rather have the guy sit out or I remember I covered a bowl game that Tennessee was in years ago. I want to say it was in the late nineties and they had all team loaded with good underclassmen and they got blown out or they got to be pretty soundly. I remember hearing from people that uh, they had players who basically shut it down in the bowl game. They still were dressed, but they just were not into it. I assumed, you know, even before this news came out, I remember in the mailbag last week, I, somebody asked me about potential breakout players to watch in the bowl game. And one of the first ones I thought of was Bryce love from Stanford, because I figured McCaffrey's they're not going to give him the ball 30 times in the Sun Bowl with, Stu, with you've been touting Bryce Love for like 18 months I feel like he's really good now guy. you're going to get to see him as the as the go-to we, guy we've all been waiting yeah. um what do you think of this tweet this is from Ezekiel Elliott great running back for the Dallas Cowboys former Ohio State star all these young guys deciding to skip their bowl games with the little emoji scratching their chin I would do anything to play one more time with my brothers and that's scarlet and gray by the way, Ezekiel Elliott left early to go to the NFL. Yeah, that one surprised me. It really did. Uh, you wouldn't think a guy one year removed from college who was basically, uh, I mean, he refers to young guys, but he was basically a peer of McCaffrey and Fournette criticizing them. That that really surprised me. And yeah, I mean, to say that he would give anything to put, but he left early and I don't fault him. Look how it's turned out. But uh, he made a business decision just like these guys are, so... I'm not sure what the difference is there. Um, it's one of those things that it's un it's unfortunate. You know, I, I would rather see these guys play in college, but I can't fault them for it. I think that's the difference. The other thing I would just mention is if you want to make the argument that he's letting down his teammates, okay. I mean, we've already seen a tweet from one of his teammates saying he's definitely not, but I get it. That's football culture. That's locker room culture. You, you know, always put the team first. I get that. I can't believe people are are, though, like – Putting it that he's letting down the Sun Bowl, that he's letting down the the fans who are traveling and and whatnot. Like, why is that his responsibility? He didn't he didn't he didn't volunteer to play in the Sun Bowl and then decide and then back out 
Um, he was random. His team was randomly, you know, picked for that game as opposed to other games. And and it's interesting because the people that, that go that route, I was thinking about myself, okay, the people, who does he impact the most here, you know? I don't think the Sun Bowl is gonna have, would have sold that many fewer tickets if he had announced this three weeks ago. It's a bowl that's mostly based on the local turnout anyway. CBS obviously is not happy about it. Sponsors are not happy about it. But what do all, what do all these parties have in common? They were the ones making money off the bowl game. McCaffrey's not. So I just don't see why this is his responsibility. To circle back a little bit to the Ezekiel Elliott tweet, the one part I would say to play devil's advocate on is – I do feel like years are, you know, it's a full year and it's like, okay, you committed to the team of 2016, you know, whereas Ezekiel Elliott wasn't committing to 2016. He was already gone. Um, I still am surprised he would tweet that out. I mean, but look. How about this one that just came out from Jordan Jenkins, the former Georgia linebacker? There was no uproar about coaches missing our bowl game last season. We had more than one coach miss and no one cared this much. Yeah, I, I think th- I, I tend to agree with that side of things. Yeah, I, again, I think the coaches have set the, the the template here. This is really the first time we're seeing players follow suit. And it does, I mean, I agree, it raises the question, like, how far might this spread? It might be that we're all overreacting, and it's really only going to affect running backs in particular and, and star running backs, first-round running backs. Because, like you said, they're going to judge it case by case. You know, they might not hold this, scouts might not hold this against McCaffrey and Fournette. They might hold it against a, a less celebrated player who just decides to skip it because he wants to, you know, like he's not a guaranteed anything and he just skips it anyway. They might hold that against him. These are two guys that didn't need another game tape to prove anything. Yeah, if you needed to find out more about what they could do against college competition, you're probably a bad evaluator. Yeah. This is going to be our only episode this week, so why don't we squeeze in some emails? Okay. It's the mailbag from a computer, so not literally a bag, but just mail. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Justin Legrand, why not kick off bowl season with the first round of playoff games, which would then give the finalists three weeks to prepare and get healthy for the championship game? Ideally, this would also help fan bases with travel arrangements and increase attendance. I don't think last year was an anomaly of Clemson, Alabama tickets going well below face the day of the game. What do you think? How Instead of the New Mexico Bowl and the Vegas Bowl, and by the way, congratulations to Donnell Pumphrey. That was a really cool moment of him breaking Ronnie's record. And Bob Davey won his first bowl game. You are a huge Bob Davey fan. Congratulations. I'm a huge Bob Davey fan. I like Bob Davey. Huge Bob Davey fan means like I'm going to Albuquerque to go see him. I like him. Congrats to Appalachian State and uh, Arkansas State as well on their bowl wins. Anyway, but he's saying, how about on December 17th, instead of those kind of warm-up bowls, we just go ahead and we play the playoff semifinals that day? There's not enough time for ESPN to promote it then. Yeah, I don't think ESPN would want it that way. I don't think the Bulls hosting the semifinals would want it that way. I think they want their their New Year's or close to New Year's slot. You don't want it that way, Stu. You don't want to spend a week. You want to catch your breath. You want to, you don't want to spend a week on the road now. Yeah, but that would be selfish of me to put that first. No, I mean, I think... We are eventually going to get to a point when, I mean, we've just spent a whole chunk of time talking about how diminished the Bulls are that a guy would skip the Sun Bowl. We are going to reach a point after this current contract when the Bulls and the playoff separate themselves, right? This was a compromise to the commissioner's old friends at the Bull system to include it. I think in the next iteration, those games will be played on campus sites, maybe other neutral sites like they do the championship game, but I think more logically campus sites. 
And when that happens, then maybe you could play it on December 17th. Agree. One double A or FCS just did that. We just watched that dramatic uh, Bo Pelini. Congrats and I think to it's Bo. cool that one double A gets some of that window. And they didn't used to do this. I want to say is maybe four or five years ago they started doing this, where they then push their championship game to the weekend of the college football playoff championship game. So Youngstown State and James Madison are doing this exact thing, where they've played a few playoff games to this point, and now they're going to rest up for the championship game. Yeah, and I did think it's cool that uh, in the case of JMU, they knocked off a true powerhouse in uh, North Dakota State. That's pretty remarkable. Um, hey, by the way, before I get to the next question, we always get these like, oh, I didn't see that coming results in the bowl games. I've already had one. Houston getting blown out. I mean, I know Houston well, <laughs> doesn't have Tom Herman and there was challenges, but geez. Bowl games are bizarre. So this is a pretty cool idea they had last week. Me and you and two other Fox writers ranked our 40 bowls on confidence points. And then our editor combined those for the collective Fox Sports confidence uh, chart, if you will. Houston over San Diego State was one of my highest ones. I don't remember exactly how high, maybe 7th or 8th. I thought they're just a they're better team than them. They've played their best in these kind of big showcase games. I thought Houston would win and win handily. And, of course, it was the exact opposite. So, yeah, it's hard to predict these things. How much do you think Major Applewhite, the, everything involved in that transition, played a part? I mean, I don't know if I would pin it on Major Applewhite. I mean, okay, our friend of the podcast, Kaylee Hartung, reported during the game that uh, he said he was having some issues. He was having to, because he's still the offensive coordinator, having to call plays from the sideline instead of up in the box. But I, I don't know if that explains. I mean, their defense did a good job in the first quarter. They were stonewalling Pumphrey at that point, and then it just kind of yeah. broke. And then Greg Ward had a pick six. I think yeah, he, he had four a terrible interceptions. Game. It was a really bad way to close out a really good career in Houston. Mike from San Antonio, gentlemen, what happened with Dana Holgerson and possibly moving on from West Virginia? He seemed like a great candidate to jump ship. You know, I think a little bit like we had with P.J. Fleck, it wasn't like a ton of jobs. I mean, Houston was out there, but, I'm, you know, it's still he's got a power five job. West Virginia is stepping up for him financially, which I think they should have done before this, but at least they did that. Um, you know, I think that really had as much to do with anything. There just hadn't been a lot of other jobs that came open. Do you think that the extension would have happened either way, the big extension and the big race? He did just go 10-2, and two, or was that to keep him from jumping ship? Uh, I think it's probably more of because he was 10-2 and two, as much as anything, but I'm sure that that also played a part in it. I mean, he could have he could have taken the Houston job, and I think Houston would have been happy, and I know he likes Houston and wouldn't have shocked me if he had done that. Hey, Stuart and Bruce, who never reads emails. Yes, this is true. Recently, I saw a list of top 15 college football TV markets. Birmingham was number one, mostly followed by other mid-sized cities in the South. When it comes to college basketball, my hometown of Louisville is always number one in college basketball ratings. Are these ratings a measure of the numbers of viewers or percentage of TVs in a particular market that are tuned to a given sports telecast? Sure, Birmingham and Louisville have disproportionately high interest in football and basketball, but is it possible that huge markets like New York, L.A., and Chicago still have a larger number of TV viewers? Lewis Chilton, Pasadena, California. So what he said at the end is correct. When you see a TV rating, like a game got a 3.1 TV rating, that is the percentage of TV households that were watching that program at the time. Um, so he's right. I think if it were just total viewers, no matter what you're showing, New York, L.A., Chicago, whatever their percentage might be, might be much lower, but the cumulative number much be, must, might be much higher. But I think it's still – well, first of all, it's much more interesting, right, to see which markets are, are, are watching most heavily. And Birmingham is always number one in foot, college football. But uh, the other reason I think it matters for the cable 
it might not matter for networks, but for cable is obviously what's the number one uh, source of revenue for them, cable subscriber fees. So they can go to the cable provider in Birmingham or Louisville and say, you, you have to have our channel and you have to pay this much because you're a disproportionate percentage of your, uh, or your market is watching our channel uh, at a given time. Uh, this question, uh, it's a follow-up because we couldn't get it in last time. From Daryl Long, Bruce has made a couple of references to quote-unquote puke buckets and Mike Stoops. Can you guys elaborate? Love the podcast. Stu? Well, first, we told the legend of the puke media cruise. Now we're going to tell the legend of puke buckets. Uh, it's kind of a running joke you and I have had, an, an inside joke for, I guess, a long time. If we're talking about this is going back to when Mike Stoops was hired at Arizona. What was that, 2004? Um, yes, 2004. When a new coach gets hired, at a whether it's a big-name coach or a big-name program or both, a lot of people come through town, you and I included, and we write our stories about the new regime and what are the kind of the cliches. They've never, you know, the, the, the old staff wasn't working them hard enough. The new staff is working them harder. We've never worked harder in our lives than we are now. And so <laughs> there were a bunch of stories about Mike Stoops, and they all had the same anecdote about them having to put trash cans up around the weight room because guys were, were, had never worked this hard, and so they were puking. And so that became like a puke buckets is kind of like a standard reference to this kind of story. Yes, I think that was my colleague Gene Wojciechowski went heavy on the puke in his, in his, <laughs> his Mike Soup story, especially. Um, but look, this is a you know this is a reference to the puke bucket story of the off season of 2017 is going to be Lane Kiffin in FAU and probably Charlie Strong at USF, correct? You don't mean because they're going to put out puke buckets <laughs> because they're no, new? No, yeah, they're new coaches and everybody's stopping yeah. to write about them. Yeah, that's, that's the story that the, the, the media is going to have to flock to in mass. Well, the puke buckets of two or three years ago was when Charlie Strong got hired at Texas. There were so many features about him that included either at, right off the top or, or prominently the fact that he would run around the Texas campus at 430 in the morning. I saw that mentioned a whole bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, look, groupthink has a way of taking hold. Yeah, we make fun, but I'm, I, I can speak for myself. I'm guilty of it. I've definitely... Uh, uh, written some things over the years that the same angle that other people had. So before we sign off, I actually wanted to circle back to Donnell Pumphrey breaking the record, and I wanted to get your thought on something. Now, I know we always say don't use Twitter as a measure of the population, but I'm going to anyway. I thought it was a really cool moment. He breaks the record His, his in Vegas. His parents are in the stands. You know, Brent Musburger calls. I was actually the first, very first game I covered – out of college as an adult was for ABC, and it was the game where Ricky Williams broke Tony Dorsett's record. And it was a really big deal. I mean, that record had stood for a long time. And Brent Mossberger was on the call, and it was a very memorable call. Well, guess who called Donnell Pumphrey's record run the other day? Danny Cannell? Brent Mossberger. Brent Mossberger was on the call, as he always is in the Vegas Bowl. So that was my reaction to it. But Twitter, you know, which, which I always finds something to be outraged about, was mad at me for even acknowledging this record. Because Ron Dane, they didn't at the time Ron Dane broke the record, the NCAA didn't count his bowl stats, and they haven't gone back and retroactively applied the bowl stats. And so we all know that if you include the bowl stats, Ron Dane ran for more yards, actually considerably more yards than Donnell Pumphrey. Where do you stand on this? You know, I got some of it too, because I think I'd retweeted a Paul Meyerberg comment about how small in stature Pumphrey is. Uh, you know, first of all, let's take it for what it is. I do think the NCAA could do a better job with this. It's not like sack statistics in the NFL in 1960. You know, we would take an incredible amount of manpower to do the math on this. 
they could easily adjust this. We know how many yards Ron Dane had in the postseason. I mean, to me, it seems like it's a pretty easy fix on this. That's I get why, and I don't even want to say it's just Wisconsin fans. I assume the bulk of them are Wisconsin fans. Who that were was what surprised me. It wasn't. I mean, yeah. yes, Wisconsin fans, of course, but uh, and Ron Dane himself sent a tweet congratulating him, but also with a hashtag seventy one twenty five, which is his actual total. Um, I, I think the NCAA was short-sighted on this when they made the change in 2002. The reasoning at the time was, I mean, first of all, there used to be much fewer bowl games. And so if you go back and adjust it in 1970-something, then it's going to disproportionately favor you know, the, the smaller group of players that played in bowl games back then. It's also going to affect, you know, if somebody was the NCAA rushing leader in 1972 – but there weren't bowl game stats and you add in the bowl game stats. Now somebody new 25 years later is now the rushing leader from that year. But I think that's as simple as keep the yearly ones the same, but career records should be adjusted. End of right. day. Why rain on this kid's parade? Let him have his moment. Uh, it is the record, whether we agree with it or not, that's his name's going to be in the record book next year. Nobody's taking that away. And also they made the change 14 years ago and nobody had come close to breaking. It's not like the minute they changed it, suddenly people were breaking this record. Nobody had come close. And here's a guy, like you said, what is he, 170 pounds? Yeah, 175. If that, playing at San Diego State, which means he wasn't heavily recruited, and he, of all players, now has run for more yards than anybody in the history of the sport. This is not a small accomplishment. No, it's not. Um, but I, I look, a lot of times I feel like Twitter is a mess. And I feel like in this case, you know, some people were over the top in their reaction to some of the things I said. But I'm not going to fault the people who are coming to Ron Dane's defense. I do think that that could have been a corrected thing. Ron Dane will be okay. I promise. He'll be okay in the long run. He's got his Heisman. And uh, I think he's living well uh, from his NFL money, I assume. Since this is a, the mailbag section, I got a tweet the other day from a guy I know. So he's a big Tennessee fan. Tweeted at me and Paul, you know, something along the lines of, you think it would have been different if Pumphrey was, you know, basically in the same situation playing in the Big Ten as Ron Dane did or you know, had the same situation? You know, I, I'm kind of butchering this because from like four days ago. By me butchering it, I'm making it sound like, all right, well, if you play in a Power Five league, it's harder to put up numbers as it is to play in a Mountain West or a Sun Belt or a Conference USA. So it devalues the numbers they put up. I'm not trying to say that. I'm like walking through this. Well, you're the one who shit all over him earlier in the season, remember? Whoa. (laughs) We were going to make a podcast on holiday week without profanity, and all of a sudden now... I have to make sure we keep that little e-sticker because people were very excited that we got it. Um, And it turned out that Lindsay, all she had to do was press a button. Um, No, I mean, I remember an episode earlier this season where you were listing off how bad the teams were that he had played. I get it. It's not the same as breaking the record in the Big Ten or another power conference. I get that. But, again, give the guy's moment. Good for him. Theoretically, he may not be running against defenses as good. His his offensive line may not be as good as Ron Dane's was. It's also just uh, there's a durability factor to this, right? Because there have been a lot of great running backs that maybe could have approached this record but couldn't stay healthy. Um, you know, and the other thing is if it's a major conference running back like Fournette, like McCaffrey, I mean – they're not staying four years. They're, They're going to turn pro after three, three years. So it may be that the only guys realistically capable of approaching that record from here on are going to be in the smaller conferences. We'll see. Actually, just remember, I had a random memory. I think we've mentioned Sean Scheffler on here before. He used to work at Fiesta Bowl, now is Oregon State. Yeah, the 30 for 30 on Sean Scheffler is going to be awesome, by Huge the way. Huge Oregon State fan. And I remember watching an Oregon State bowl game with him, and Jacquez Rogers was a freshman. And he was saying, like, this guy, he said, like, this guy's going to break the all-time record. 
because he felt like he figured there's no way this guy's going to be able to turn pro early. He'll stay for four years, and he'll run up huge numbers of yards. But as it turns out, he did turn pro early, and he has done very well for himself. So, yeah, it's going to be rare that a guy that's that productive stays for four years. I have a special affinity. Whenever you mention the Rogers brothers, I always love this little anecdote that Mike Riley had told about James Rogers, the older brother, who's probably not as much of an NFL prospect. And he talked about how, I don't know if it was necessarily just how football smart he was, but how badly he wanted to be great. Like he's literally trying to soak up as much as you can. He keeps bumping into you on the sidelines because he's trying to learn everything he can. And I thought that was a cool little nugget about a great little player. So, I love the Rogers brothers. That was a great story. Yeah, I, I thought they were awesome. They made, you know, they fit well, I thought, in, you know, kind of an upstart program. And so, I don't know. It's like, it's the same way I feel about when I see snow on my TV. It's like a happy place part of nostalgia. Rooting for snow days on the night before school. You have a special affinity for snow, but you live in Southern California? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a really snowy place. And as a little kid, whenever we would hear it was supposed to snow, I would flip the outside lights on to see if it was snowing. I mean, I liked one hour delays. We didn't get that many of them because you would you could get 10 inches of snow and or at least seven inches of snow and still have to go to school. But no, I agree. There was nothing yeah. better than snow days as a kid. But then you become an adult and especially an adult living in New York City when it's when there'd be a foot of snow on the ground and you couldn't get anywhere. And then it just becomes a big annoyance. So I'm pretty happy. To, I'm okay now with living somewhere where it's not going to snow. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, the same. A few things I love looking at more than in a football field covered in snow. Well, as long as you're watching it on TV. No, when I was a little kid, and even when I was in high school, I remember we would play. It was like five-yard line. I don't know if kids played at other places where it was basically it was the equivalent of nine-on-seven football outdoors for, for kids. And I just thought it was the most awesome thing to do on the snow. But um, Well, let me ask you this. We mentioned earlier I said one day the Bulls will no longer host the playoff games. They'll be on campuses. You saw the, um, which game was it this weekend that was coated in snow? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it was a Division Two game. Division Two game was, you know, looked like they were playing in a blizzard. Are you looking forward to the day when going and covering a semifinal game means going to Ann Arbor in late December and it's maybe 10 degrees out, maybe snow on the ground? I love that stuff. I mean, I feel like that's how football should be played. I, I like that idea of it. And certainly sitting in the press box, I got no problems with it. What if you were the sideline reporter for the game? I'd have no problems with it. Really? But, yeah. Well, Christian McCaffrey may not be selfish for skipping the Sun Bowl, but I'm selfish because I want the games to stay in Arizona and Miami and as long as possible. You know, my whole philosophy is you don't have to be cold. You know, I know the people in that part of the country consider it to be like a badge of honor. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be cold. There are parts of the country you can go in December and January where you don't have to shiver like that. And that's where we should play our football games. We've rambled. We have rambled, but, you know, you're not going to hear us for another week. So I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, please subscribe. Subscribe to The Audible because, Stu, we've seen a huge uptick in our audience this season. And we thank you guys for that. Think about this. If you want to give somebody a Christmas gift without spending any money on them, just send them an email telling them, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, subscribe to the Audible. That's a hell of a gift, Stu. But you know, whenever somebody says it's the thought that counts, I'm not sure that's, that's what they mean. You're giving them the gift of opening their eyes to a new podcast that you think they'll like. Fair enough. I'm not saying you should do that for your brother or your mother or anybody particularly close to you. But, you know, somebody, acquaintance at work maybe who you know is a college football fan, there's a stocking stuffer for you. <laughs> All right. In all seriousness, Happy Holidays, everybody. When we talk to you next, it'll be the week of the semifinals. Talk to you then.